Welcome in everybody to another episode of Cyberly. My name is Blythe Bramley. I am your host, and this show covers the attention economy, B2B marketing, and how it all ties into the world of logistics. So if you're not already following the show or a subscriber, you can find us on various different podcasting apps, also on YouTube, just by searching Cyberly, and you'll be able to find all of our previous episodes because the previous episodes are really going to be important for today's episode because we're going to be talking about measuring the success of your recruiting efforts. We're also going to be talking with Grace Sharkey. She is a staff writer at Freight Waves, and she's going to be telling us about all of the badass marketing that she sees along in the world of logistics. And then we're also going to be hearing from Dan Foster. He's the VP of Operations over at Stratus Grid. And he's going to be talking to us about the IT infrastructure that your company needs to survive now and in the future. And then also to protecting your company from these ransomware attacks that we're seeing increasingly increasingly across all different industries, across all sectors. So we're going to get some baseline knowledge of how we can protect our companies from getting, you know, just getting access to these hackers and not getting access for them from them getting access to our sensitive data and, and the things that we want to protect from getting out into the world and also avoiding having to pay those really like large settlements, which are about $5 million, I think was the most recent settlement that was paid to hackers. So we're going to get the lowdown on all of those things. But the first topic we're going to cover today is uh, talking about measuring your recruiting efforts. Now, in the previous couple of episodes, we have talked about influencer marketing, especially in the driver space and how you can use influencer marketing in, in order to help your recruiting efforts. And so we talked from the business side of things with Tom Augenthaler. And then we also talked to Wayne Craig, who talked about it from the driver perspective. But this episode, we're actually going to be diving into how you can measure your recruiting efforts when it comes to properties that you own. And that property and one of the few properties that you own in the digital world is your website. And that's one of the more underutilized tools when it comes to recruiting is using the information that you have on your own website in order to in encourage other employees or other, you know, I guess not really employees, but drivers that you want to recruit to come to your business or in, you know, maybe a students uh, at, at a different college, maybe they, they want to come and, and join your program. Your website is really the first place that they're going to, to go and search. And then they're going to search your social media profiles to see what kind of a good sort of company culture that you have. But it really all starts with your website. So if you haven't explored the possibilities of your own marketing data within your own website, that's what we're going to dive into today. So this is for all my marketing analytics nerds out there. This is our time to shine. So we're going to dive into the first thing that you want to do is you really want to take inventory of where all of your marketing data sources are at. So making sure that your analytics are set up properly. One of the biggest myths out there, especially in the world of marketing, is once you install Google Analytics, which is a free platform in order to manage and, and monitor your website's activities, is that once you install it, you're done. That you don't have any, you don't have to do anything else. When the truth of the matter is, is 40, more than 40% of all internet traffic is bot related. And so if you don't have certain filters set up within your Google Analytics account, you're going to be factoring a lot of data that just isn't accurate, that just isn't a good replica or a good representation of the visitors that are coming to your site. So the first thing you want to do is you want to make sure that you have filters put in place to block out as much of that bot related traffic that's out there. And I've linked in the show notes of where you can find those common 
bot sites, Google usually does a pretty good job of keeping a master list updated. You just need to take that master list and add it into a filter within your own analytics account. And I know that HubSpot is another really great analytics platform but they have an option within their account that you have to actually go in and check the box to make sure that they are omitting bot-related traffic that is coming to your site. So setting up those filters is really, really important. And they're, they're going to drown out all of the noise and, and so you can get that accurate data because you won't be able to make educated decisions until you have that accurate data in place. And so next up, you also want to make sure that you have Google My Business set up. We covered this extensively in the last show about all the new features that are coming out for a free Google My Business account, which is the map listing that you see on the right-hand side of a Google search page. Now, you want to make sure that all of that information is accurate and all of that information is up to date because one of their latest features that's coming out very soon is called the Call History Report, where somebody Googles your company and then they'll be able to click on the phone number right in that Google listing and dial your company directly. And so having those different parameters set up in place or having that those different data points set up will really go a long way. The next one you want to do, and it's one of the more underutilized, is setting up Google Search Console. And you have to do this. This is more of a... Uh, you might want to get your IT team involved with this because they have to go at the domain level, at your website's domain level, in order to verify your domain to Google that you own that domain. But the great part about it is once you verify your domain in Google Search Console, you'll be able to see historical data from the time that your domain, that you purchase your domain, you'll be able to see that historical data versus something like Google Analytics, where Google Analytics, you're only going to be able to see that data from the time that you set up and install your analytics code. And then you're only going to see that filtered noise, that filtered data from the time that you set up your filters and put those in place. Google Search Console is different where you'll be able to see the historical data from your domain. And that historical data will show you the queries that people are entering into Google and either your website is showing up for that query for that long tail keyword, or you're not showing up for that query. And then they'll also show you which pages are showing up during a Google search and then which pages are actually being clicked through. So you can kind of make in, you can kind of infer the data a little bit by looking at the queries report and then looking at the page performance report and then blending those two together in order to make an educated decision of, okay, well, this is how many times that this page appeared in search. This is how many, this is the pages that, that show up whenever somebody enters in this query, this keyword. But then you can also see the click-through rate. If that click-through rate is less than 1%, then you have some work to do on your website when it comes to the metadata that's showing up on your site, the headlines. You know, There's a whole bunch of different variables when it comes to that specific report, but it's a really good useful tool to look at where the low-hanging fruit opportunities are. Because if somebody is by accident getting to your site based off of a keyword that you want to register for, that you want to rank for, then what you can do is you can go in and you can tweak that article or you can tweak that page just a little bit to encourage more people to click through and increase that 1% or maybe less than 1% click-through rate and increase it just a little bit more, which that 1% increase in, in click-through rate could result in thousands, sometimes millions of people coming to the site. So that is one of my more favorite reports to run is that Google Search Console report. I run it about once every four to six months just to see where I'm ranking and just to see where I'm, I'm getting 
traffic coming into my site for non-branded keywords and non-branded and branded keywords means your company name. So I don't necessarily, I mean, I want to rank for my branded company name, but that's a lot easier than ranking for keyword phrases that are actually tied to problems that users are experiencing and they want to find a solution for. So keeping that in mind when it comes to Google Search Console is you want to get somebody, whoever is in charge of your domain name, you want to make sure that that is verified within Google Search Console because there are a lot of really good low-hanging fruit opportunities within that platform. Now, after you've set up your Google Analytics, you're making sure you're, you're filtering out all the bot content, and then also you're, you're setting up your Google Search Console. So then you have two different data sources to pull from. Now you can go it back into Google Analytics and you can start to set up what's called a goal or an event. A goal or an event can tell you in an analytics report how many people arrived on your site. How many people clicked on a social media link to follow you? How many people clicked on a phone number to give you a direct call? How many people filled out a form? How many people scrolled? Did they scroll halfway through your site or did they scroll to the end of, the, in, to the end of an article or a landing page that you created? Did you set up maybe a thank you page to encourage more signups to your email newsletter or a case study that you just released? And then you have them, as soon as they download that report, then you're they're redirected to that thank you page. That thank you page is a goal that you can set up within Google in order to track how many people actually made it to that page in order to say thank you to them. And then you can see their interactions across the board of whether they left the site immediately after getting the information that they want or if they just left completely without doing any of those goals. And so that is a really, really great uh, sort of next level as far as analytics is concerned because I would say that that is a little bit more on the technical side of setting up a lot of these things, but you really need to involve the creative side of your brain and the technical side of your brain because you can track up to 20 goals and analytics and, and events within Google for free. Now, a paid solution that I've used in the past, which makes a lot of this process a, a lot more easier, is called a Reby Analytics. And they, as soon as you set up the code, you can filter out all of the bot traffic. And then where the magic sort of happens is those marketing funnels that people love to see. You can set those up with ease. And you can also set up your Google goal, or not Google related, but goals and analytics. Uh, you can set those right up into your report. So if you haven't heard of a Reby Analytics, it sort of makes Google Analytics a lot simpler. And so I prefer to use both because I want to be able to set up goals and events super easy in one platform. And then I want to be able to go back to my trusty Google Analytics because that's where my first party data has lived for forever. So I want to make sure that I have that historical data while also being able to measure the current goals and the events that I'm putting out into the world. And so I kind of use both in, in synergies together, but you can absolutely use the free version of Google. You might just need to get you know, your developer or a, you know, a marketing agency that you're working with. You might just have to take you know, a couple extra steps in order to set that up within Google itself, because it can be done, but there is a, a little bit more of a nuance to it, which I've also linked in the show notes in case you want to dive a little bit deeper and get those that step-by-step -step instructions of how to set that up. So you've got your goals set up, you've got all of your reporting, sort of you take an inventory of where all of your data is coming from, you're making sure you're getting clean data 
well, what's the next step of what you can do with that data? Well, now we can make educated decisions and we can see how much of our marketing efforts are working on the site or they're not working on the site. So specifically, let's get back to your recruiting efforts because nine times out of 10, that's exactly what a 3PL wants to use their site for and it's what a carrier wants to use their site for. Carriers want more drivers. 3PLs, if they're non-asset based, they want to recruit more employees and they want to be able to advertise different jobs that they have. Uh, and, and growing, in, there's a growing importance on getting that first party data because right now we're sort of living in the 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 sort of I guess uh, the influx of the world of the cookie-less world and. It, we as marketers, especially on the lazy side of things, have been blessed with a, a, a cookie world for years. But now with growing privacy concerns and the inability to track across devices, uh, I think it's Apple and Facebook that are actually in a very heated battle right now when it comes to the first party data of how they're sharing your information across different party apps. Facebook is very mad that Apple isn't allowing that anymore and they're giving users the right to choose. And nine times out of 10, if a user has the choice to choose whether they share their information with other companies or not, they're probably not going to share that. So it makes the, the I guess, the focus of having that first party data so much more important. So diving into a sample flow of what your recruiting efforts can look like is making a landing page on your website with all of your recruiting information on the main page. Now, the, the graphic that we're looking at here is a sample of what I've created in the past, where if you notice that the red phone number, the red email, the share buttons on the page, if you look at the bottom of the page, how to apply, email us, click to call, apply now, all of those buttons are being tracked in Google Analytics. It's being tracked in a Google goal with a Google event because that will tell me, is somebody looking at this ad and where are they clicking? Where are their eyes going? Are they emailing this job to a friend or are they applying themselves? All of this information will tell me that and I have it in a couple different areas of the page. And so I'm a, I can look at a report. I can put out a new job listing out to the world, and then I can see how that page is performing. This page acts as a blog post, and it's a template that you can build over and over again, and depending on the type of job that you're looking for, you're, the type of job that you're looking to fill. And so if you notice at the very bottom how to apply, somebody can email you directly. That email goes right to somebody on staff, probably your HR department or you know somewhere else, but there's also an option within that platform that is has a quick application. Now, a lot of different companies will use a tool like 10th Street, and they are great. They, they make the ease of applying for drivers uh, much more easier because they store a lot of their data. And, and it's a quick way to get drivers to apply to a new job if they're looking. But this tactic too, uh, having a mini application, which is essentially just a mini form on your site that's tied to a Google goal, you're able to now capture that information that driver, that employee recruiting information, you capture it on your owned platform. And then once they apply in the mini application, once they hit send, they're redirected to 10th Street or they're redirected to another application provider should you have that capability set up with another third party. The way that this works is that you still capture that first party data 
without having to rely on a third-party source. Third-party sources are great and they can be used in a, a variety of different marketing ways, but this is really your, your, the best bang for your buck because then you know within your own data of how that job post is performing. And so what that method allows you to do if you just build a simple application on your, on your website is in that way you can then take that blog post, which is essentially a job listing, and you can send it out to all of your social media platforms. You can also, if it's set up and programmed correctly, you can tie in with different API integrations that, that various different job boards already have. I know ZipRecruiter, Google, Google Glass, I think it's like Glassdoor or something like that. They're Google's job board um, and a variety of other job boards out there will allow this API integration to take place so you can publish a job listing directly on your site and then take that same data and it automatically sends out through an API connection to all of the different job boards that allow it that have that capability. But you're still taking advantage and still owning your first party data, which is incredibly important. And so now because those job posts are created or, or treated as a blog post, you have a custom URL that you can also send out to all of your different social media platforms. And then tying it back to the other data points that we talked about earlier, you can now see in Google Search Console if somebody is looking for that particular job, did they arrive on that page and did they ultimately complete the goal that you want them to take? So it's really your sort of full circle marketing that really sort of benefits and snowballs into an effect that in the future, people will, will get used to coming to your site to look for available jobs. And if they don't do that, then they're going to Google and you ideally want to be able to show up for that job listing. So it's really a multi-pronged approach with your job listings and recruiting efforts to really measure the success of, of what is performing well and what isn't performing well. Because if you... If all is looking good, you can also start to use not only social media, but advertising in order to drive traffic to that page in order to get applicants directly on that page. And so it's setting up your most important marketing data points and creating that flow on your site first. And it also it helps to expand and justify adding more budget to your marketing and to your social media and advertising because you have the flow set up on your website correctly first before you start investing in content marketing and advertising. Too many times I see businesses out here that will jump into investing into content marketing or investing into advertising without making sure that the flow is set up correctly on their site first. So it's really, really a valuable tool that I encourage everybody to get out there and, and really hone in on the ownership part of your website in order to really capitalize on a lot of the different platforms out there and utilizing those channels as distribution spots that all lead back to your website where you can control the real estate and you can control the, the, the flow that the visitor will take. But make sure you get that flow right on your site first before you start investing in these other strategies. Now, someone who knows a lot about these kind of strategies, let's go ahead and bring in Grace Sharkey. She's a staff writer for Freight Waves and host of the newest show on the platform called Transmission. And she's stellar rock star. I've been looking forward to having this conversation for a while. Welcome in, Grace. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I am a huge fan. So honestly, <laughs> this is like, 
probably my favorite show that I've watched that Freightways has brought on, and I am overly excited to be here today. So thank you so much. <laughs> oh, th- thank you. I mean, the, the check is in the mail, so I appreciate all of the compliments that you're giving me. <laughs> um, but diving into a little bit of your career and and where you sort of come from, I, I think I just blindly assumed that you just jumped right into journalism and jumped right into writing at Freightways, but you've actually spent, you know, I, I, I don't want to say, you know, that We've spent a decade in this industry, but because we're not old, we're seasoned professionals. So now tell us a little bit about how you got started in the world of freight. Yeah. So honestly, it's, it's been a wild ride. If I went back to myself at like 22, 23 and said, Hey, guess what? And over a decade from now, you're going to be on an automotive supply chain podcast and writing for a, a freight uh, media site. I'd be like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I started, I went to school for college for politics, to be honest with you. Um, and I actually started really learning about freight through fundraising. It sounds odd, but uh, I helped set up different fundraising plans for Clean Water Action, uh, Sierra Club, things of that nature. And then I actually started um, fundraising for Michigan State. Um, Thought to myself, well, if they won't pay for my tuition, I'll help other people pay for theirs. (laughs) We'll see. And I had a really great career. Yeah, right. Um, I was able to raise over $150,000, probably close to $200,000 for the university. And the funny thing was, is a lot of the the job requirements for that in terms of being on the phone and and hearing rejections, because trust me, you hear rejections, uh, especially after we lose on a Saturday. Um, It it prepared you for this industry. So Coyote, C.H. Robinson, a lot of the large companies would come in and recruit us. And I was friends with a lot of people who ended up going into the industry after school and Really, to be very honest, I just, I needed a job that I could make money to start paying my student loans after after school. And guess what? Politics and nonprofit work doesn't do that right away. <laughs> so I, I took this job at a small 3PL and um, was attracted to the ability to get into management um, quicker. And that happened very rapidly. It's This isn't a hard industry to... Um, I don't say hard, but it's not a difficult industry to get sales or acquire sales. Where it really gets difficult is the scaling aspect. So that was really fun for me was like, okay, I can really learn how to run a business, be an entrepreneur, and and use this experience almost as a a beta testing for what I ended up doing with the rest of my life. So uh, that's really how I got started in this. I love that. It's sort of it. You're you're either you have family that's involved in the freight industry, or and that's how you initially get in, or you just just stumble in it by accident, yeah. and then all of a sudden you're a lifer, and they just you can't yeah. escape the grasp of freight. Now, speaking of your first role, and and your first role was at Fifth Wheel Freight to include sales and business development, ultimately becoming the chief strategy officer. So, what does sort of the day to day look like for a CSO? Because I, I feel like that's a that's a fairly new position, especially in the world of freight. Yeah. So I think a lot of my job entailed the scaling aspect. It was very important for someone in my role to know the future and know where I are, where we are now, right? Like, how are we going to A, compete 20 years from now and B, be at the level of revenue that we're hoping to be at? You know, what are hurdles that we're going to have to overcome? Where should we properly prep ourselves? Where investments do we need? Um, 
where what areas do we need to invest in in order to compete with the large behemoths that are in this industry? And for me, a lot of it was really sitting with our entry-level employees. I always feel like that is the number one place you can go to when you're finding it difficult to pinpoint what is really causing a um, uh, just a grasp on maybe an area that you're trying to control more. For instance, like um, we're really big on at, at the time for moving to a buy-sell model from a cradle to grave, which can be very difficult, but um, it's it's easier to uh, relay over to your employees or market to your employees when you actually know the problems that they're dealing with and you can say, hey, listen, I know you hate check calls. I, I know you hate having to deal with this carrier minutia. You know, if we can properly uh, align you up with a, with a better role, we're going to take this these headaches away eventually and, and show you you, that you can make more money and be able to just strategize that actual um, execution in order to help your business reach your goals. Um, it is kind of like a, a newer type of role when you say that. And I think you're seeing it a lot more because of the technology piece. Mm-hmm. Um there are a lot of, I would say, executive level people who in this industry, they get into it for the sales aspect. You know, a lot of them have been in the industry for years as truck drivers. So when it comes to like adding technology into their workflow, it, it's a difficult conversation and it takes a lot of investment to get a good outcome or good ROI. So I think that's why you start seeing that role a lot more. Well, you brought up my next question because of ROI, everybody is sort of obsessed with attaching a data point to, you know, ROI or anything that you invest in. And so what are some of your favorite ways to measure the strategies that you implemented? You mentioned putting employees in more successful roles that maybe they feel more passionate about. Are there any other aspects of of, of ROI that can be measured in that way? Yeah. So I actually just did a webinar on this last week. I think a lot of times when people see problems um, when scaling a business within logistics, their number one go-to move is let's add a person, right? And that all that all that does is just double down on the problem. You're just literally making it worse because at some point that person is going to be so overwhelmed they're going to need another point. So a lot of times, I think it's difficult to explain to executives that an ROI isn't always a very direct penny level cost. Sure, let's get some data scientists on this and I can show you it. But um, I think I sent over to you, there's a couple areas that I personally like to focus on because they will lead to better revenue, revenue growth and at the end of the day, better margins in the long run. One is the return of time. Time is money. I hate that saying because it's like, duh. But it really is like the number one factor. Whenever you look at any brokerage that's looking to scale, it's really not the return on my investment. It's how can I make the employees, how can I put more time in their pocket? How can I stop these minutiae tasks that are slowing them down? Check calls, talking to carriers about just small little things here and there, dealing with mistakes by your shipper. Right. So let's let me show you how much time I'm going to put back into your rep's day Uh, Two, yeah, is the return of happiness. Like I I love the mean culture of this industry. I think it's absolutely hilarious. So I'm not putting it down at all. But a lot of the mean culture is like the headaches of this industry. Right. Like uh, got a phone call at midnight or um, having to having to deal with load board issues or things of that nature. 
Um, that meme culture is there because those small areas like actually make your employees not happy and not enjoy mm-hmm. it. And at, yeah. And at the end of it all, if they don't enjoy the industry, they will leave at some point. They'll leave and they'll do some other type of industry. Maybe they go to a competitor with their experience and, and a smaller competitor and help them grow, but they, they aren't going to stay there. So it's always best to, to figure out, okay, in this role, what type of person needs to fill it? What's going to have them enjoy their job, right? A lot of carrier representatives, they love talking with carriers. They love actually like building a relationship with them, not yelling at them because they're two hours late. Well, a system, different telematics and things of that nature, that can fix those problems. Let's put that time back into their day so they can actually ask the carrier like, hey, how's your family doing? Or Hmm. how, in, in my notes, I put that you just, you just had a son. Like, how is he doing? Can you send me some pictures? That's going to actually build a real carrier relationship. And then to the last one, and I think this one is the most important for small and medium-sized uh, brokers especially, um, and a lot of shippers, to be honest, what's the return of your carrier? Like, literally, how often are they coming back to your company and taking another load? I think that sometimes is a really shocking figure when companies figure out how to pull that and see, oh, like... Most of our carriers have only taken a few loads with us and they've never come back. Okay, like, well, let's figure out why. Why wouldn't they come back? What do we need to improve on to make their experience better? Because you are a broker. You have two people that you have to really make happy. Three, if you count the employees. So those are the areas that I like to focus on the most. And to piggyback off of that, because when we were originally talking about you coming on the show, we we were going to talk about, you know, sort of freight brokers having issues recruiting and the marketing strategies companies need to adopt in order to bring in more recruits. What are some of your favorite marketing strategies and are there any companies that we can sort of look towards in order to, to better enhance our recruiting efforts? Yeah, so there's definitely companies. I think the biggest thing in this, I think that, um, there's a generational shift towards this as well. It's just authenticity, like being authentic and being honest about what is going on within your business, right? So a lot of times I still see um, marketing material with stock images, like take pictures of your staff. Like there is, yeah, like, right? Like, first of all, drives me crazy. Yeah, stop giving these stock image companies your your uh subscript their monthly subscription rate or whatever it is. Like just literally walk around and take some professional photos of your employees. And you know what? Like before you even reach out to prof- professional, like ask your employees, does anyone here take photos on the side? You know, like use what's going on within your employees to like help generate a positive atmosphere in your company. So that's my number one thing is like use photos of your employees because we all know what a stock photo looks like. Like, and I'll be honest, I'm working on a website right now too for our, for my own company. I'm like, I've got stock images. And every time I go on it, I'm like, yeah, go outside and take some photos. So like, that's the number one thing I would say is like, be authentic, start like any, and I, I would do this every single day, but if you're just starting to get into it, like we start putting them on some type of social media, especially for recruiting. Like that's a lot of uh, people my age and younger than me. I like to pretend I'm 22, but um, people 30 and younger, like I will go to your site to see 
um, how you're promoting your employees and that they enjoy their job. If I just see a bunch of clearly scripted materials and, and stock images, I'm going to just assume that they didn't want you to take pictures of them. So like whether it's you letting like take an Instagram story, right. And just have someone from their desk say, I had a great day because Jim Bob trucking delivered it on time. Like small things like that to show like, okay, these guys are making freight fun. There's a reason, like I said, that meme culture exists out there for us. Like this can be a super cool and fun industry. Um, I think the other one is starting at leadership and letting them be their authentic selves on social media. I can't say it more than I've already said a thousand times. And I've messaged him myself and let him know like Andrew Silver is the god of doing this on LinkedIn. And the one thing I always tell him that I think is giving them a really great return, and this is for Molo, um, if anyone's wondering, um, is I see him constantly liking and commenting on like entry-level employees' um, different uh, status updates or job promotions and things like that. You have no idea what someone at that level of an executive likes or comments on something, how good and valued that makes an employee feel. Yeah. I, and it's, I always tell him, I'm like, like, I've seen him do it. Like just even on like, I took a job here and like, he's like, congratulations. Like I haven't even started this job yet. And the CEO is congratulating me. Like, that is takes two seconds out of your day and is going to just amp that employee up with so much positivity. So just be your authentic selves. Um, and if you, let's say you're an executive and you're not like an on-camera person, that is fine. Yeah, and I mean, even if like, let's say you're like a harder type of person, like Mr. Wonderful doesn't create a bunch of rainbow and butterfly content. He creates Mr. Wonderful content that people still love. So I would just like this day and age, people just are gravitated toward others being their authentic self. Right. Just try something and see what feedback you get. So, so just happen? being un unapologetically you investing a little time into encouraging new and new hires goes a <laughs> long way and spend a couple hundred bucks on getting a photographer to come to your office and take <laughs> pictures of your staff and of your <laughs> fleet. It really is just that much is that much money and you can use that in all of your future marketing efforts because if i see another stock image of a plane flying over a cargo port and that is your header photo on your website i'm going to scream because it just drives me crazy so thanks yeah. for getting me off on a little bit of a tangent there now you know, making this <laughs> now making the switch for you 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 come from a company and then you go to a writing position and now you're hosting the show transmission what is that sort of a experience like for you? Because I do think that a lot of leaders and, and, and company leaders out there can sort of take a page out of your book that you went from working within an office to being on camera and hosting your yeah. show. What has that transition to transmission been like for you? Yeah. So I would say, I think I talked to you before about this, like the on camera stuff, like I don't want to say that it comes more natural, but like, I just, I've always been that person there. My family has this video of us going to Disney world when I was like four and I'm obnoxiously annoying, like constantly <laughs> jumping in frame. Like I, I cringe when I watch it. Cause I'm like, can someone calm her down? So like <laughs> the on camera stuff, I'm, I'm more than fine with. And I've always really enjoyed public speaking. I think 
Um, so I have, I have like really high actual anxiety. And I think sometimes like these spaces like really challenge me against that anxiety that I kind of just like go off. And that's where the authentic aspect of things I think really um, pays off for people because there's sometimes where I'm just like, I'm going to wing it and like whatever happens happens. And it usually turns out really well. So like push against your anxiety, push against your fears, just do it. And you'd be surprised how good you are on camera, just being yourself. Now the journalist side, the writing side, my mom is an English teacher. And I told her for mother's day that I have never ever thought that her job was that crazy hard. And, um, the, everyone on this team has like completely proved me wrong. I just, I've learned so much in regards to writing since I've been here, just, and I used to write a lot of papers and stuff in college, but just like how to capture an audience, how to like keep that messaging going throughout the full article. Like I'm a tangent person. I think that's why I like video. Cause I know like worst case, I'll just go on a tangent and I'll, it'll get back to the beginning somehow. But like, <laughs> you can't do that in an article, like not at all. So I think that's like what the staff has really helped me with is like, okay, you kind of, you lost me here. Let's like get it back to the point or even more so like push your point up a little higher. So like they, they continue to read. So, um, I've just learned so much from the editorial team. And I think every single person I've interacted with has taught me something new and, and everyone's just been more than open with their feedback. And, uh, I, I'm just so excited to be here and, and really like, I, I really, have a new respect for journalists, to be honest mm. with you. I, I, I've always, yeah. Like I've always been like a, a huge, like into documentaries and stuff like that. And I've noticed over like the last couple months when I watched those like crime documentaries, I'm like way more interested in how like the uh, journalists like went on the pursuit. I just look at it so much differently. Yes. Um, I mean, I couldn't agree more because I think that whenever you're, you're in that, in, in that sphere of creating content, you start paying attention to how somebody else interviews someone, how they structure and set up a story and the different, you know, even camera angles that people use. Once you start yes. getting those reps, you start seeing it more all around you. So I couldn't agree more. It's a great perspective yeah. on, on somebody coming into sort of the broadcasting game. Cause I, I was the same way. I, I didn't go to school for this, but here we are uh, just <laughs> trying to throw some stuff up against the wall and see if it sticks. All right. We only have a couple minutes left. So, so what are some of the uh, final question? What are some of the women that you look up to in this industry? Uh, so my number one lady of all time is Lily Shen. I think everything that she touches, it literally turns to gold. Like in my head, she's Queen Midas. Like uh, everything, literally everything. Like go through her resume or her LinkedIn and you're like, mm, bomb.com company, bomb.com. Everything just, everything out of the park, home runs. Um, and for someone to have that that awesome of a resume, like, you sit back and you're like, okay, like this, this is too good to be true. But like every interview she's done with Freight Waves, she just seems very authentic and very passionate. And then I got the chance to interview Christian Lee, um, who's their new CFO at Transfix. And 
I was like, literally, I was like, is she as cool as I assume that she is? <laughs> and he was like, uh, yes, times 10. So um, I haven't gotten to do a one-on-one interaction with her, but uh, I'm putting there, I'm going to put her up like, very close to Beyonce. And that's huge in my book. Um, <laughs> Shoot your uh, shot. That's the best you can do. Yes, right? <laughs> yes exactly. Um, so yeah, she, for me, is a huge one. And then just from like my own experiences, I'm a huge fan of Shelly Simpson at uh, JB. I think that one, in order to really, I feel like she's really taken on the charge of bringing them into the technological uh, revolution. And as not as old, but as, as legacy as that company is like, that can be very, very difficult to manage and very, very difficult to like get into people's heads. And when I talk to drivers, that, that is like that platform 60 is one I've never heard complaints on. If anything, it's always really great things. So what that tells me is she's really good at um, creating a culture that's willing to listen to carrier feedback, that she has a really great way of implementing technology that I would just love to learn from her. Um, so I, when I see what she's been able to do at that company, and, and from my experience, I was a lot of that too, like trying to lead the charge of a technology revolution, can just like sometimes go over people's heads. So I would love to to sit and learn from her at some point in time. Absolutely. I, I think a, a lot of people w- would love to be able to learn from her because that was a great article that you shared about the t- some of the top women that are working in freight and logistics. So it was really sort of in- yeah. inspiring to see some names on the list that I hadn't heard of yet and sort of dive into more of their career. Now, Lau, mm-hmm. speaking of your career, where can people find more of your work and follow your journey? Yeah. So go to freightwaves.com, type in Grace Sharkey. You will get all of my articles there. Um, So that is a great place to start just to really see the type of uh, material I cover, which is really all over industry, but really try to focus on technology. Um, From there, I am a part of Transmission, uh, which you can get on any type of podcast uh, format that you listen to. Um, And make sure you guys subscribe to that. So you're getting updates on our weekly episodes. This week's episode is going to be really, really cool. I could talk to that guy forever. Um, and also I am on Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can add me there. Uh, I saw your book in the background, but my Twitter handle is Gracie man Lafray. Um, so yeah, I, those are, that's where you can find me at and feel free to, to shoot me an email or anything. I love meeting new people in this industry and uh, I love getting feedback on, on my articles because I am brand new and I can definitely learn something. So I'm open to it. <laughs> awesome. Well, you may be brand new, but you're, you're definitely one to watch as far as the career is concerned. Thank you so much, Grace, for, for your time today and looking forward to watching and reading more <laughs> of your content that comes out from the Freightways platform. Thank you again. Thank you, wife. Perfect. All right. Well, what a great interview about hearing from somebody that went from working in an office in order to working where she is now. And that's on the Freightways platform, hosting her own show, writing her own articles, didn't go to school for it. And and it's something that you can learn while while you're on the job. And that's a really great sort of segue into our next guest, not necessarily learning on the job, but maybe a little bit of that aspect of it. But we're going to go ahead and bring in Dan Foster. He is the VP of operations over at Stratus Grid. And he's going to break down some of the latest IT infrastructure that's going on in the world and and also how we can protect ourselves from ransomware. But before we dive into sort of those, you know, I guess more important questions, first of all, I want to hear about the cool name and the logo that you guys have. 
you guys, you know, sent me a, a little swag bag full of like little gifts and I love the rocket ship. So I was just wondering where you guys came up with a lot of that different marketing and branding. So I think it's brilliant. Hey, I saw the rocket and good afternoon. <laughs> and thank you for having me, Bly. It's good to see you again. Absolutely. Likewise. So the, the Stratus part of it is pretty clear. It's kind of cloud. We were a cloud first uh, company and uh, it, uh, branding kind of came around from a very early uh, part of the company around 2009. So Justin Schultz was the founder of Stratus Grid, saw how transformative this technology was going to be in the industry and kind of wanted to focus on that. Uh, and it kind of really kind of uh, all centers around taking this into space. So there's lots of terminology about launching. So we actually take uh, uh, some new software and we launch it, you know, so that's kind of one of the things. Another part of it is kind of goes around the space industry as a whole, because the space industry has always kind of represented the cutting edge of technology for the most part. So they've, they've got movies about it, you know, how this has always been where all of this is kind of going. So it all kind of worked together in a synergy of like, hey, let's look at the cloud and let's look at this technology and let's see how it is going to just continue to go, you know, and that is pretty well proven accurate. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is the, I, I think just about everybody can at least talk about the cloud, though they might not really understand what it means. Well, speaking of the cloud, a graphic that your team put out <laughs> said up to 40 times, cloud computing is up to 40 times more cost effective than running in-house IT systems for small to medium-sized businesses. Now, what exactly does that entail as far as you know IT infrastructure? And what are some of the basics that people need to keep in mind as their business grows? So some of the basics, and there's really a, a, a quite a, there's a switch in the way this actually is now working. So it kind of comes from uh, a capital expenditure to an operating expenditure. So when you're a brand new business or you have gotten to a certain point in your uh, growth or you've outgrown some of your equipment, you have to buy more, right? Uh, or you either are a brand new business and I need to buy something so I can start putting all of my applications, I need to store my files, I need to do whatever. So that has a that has a finite number, that has a number. And you almost have to not guess, that's gonna be the wrong word, but you have to find a way to uh, judge how well this is going to serve your company moving forward. Well, when you move over to something like, uh, we're an AWS shop, but they're all very similar, where it's a pay as you go, it's very much like a light switch. So you're able to launch all of these applications. You're able to do all the things that you have done traditionally in that closet, but now it's up in the cloud. And whenever you use it, now you're incurring cost. And that just kind of stays that way ongoing. So what is kind of sometimes I heard Grace talking about ROI, which is a great segue into this. People want to know what that return on investment looks like. Well, you have continuing cost associated to this that will vary depending on your workload. So if you have to leave the lights on longer, you know it's going to cost a little bit more. But three years from now, you're not going to have that big capital expense of, hey, I've grown so much, I need to get new equipment or my old equipment is aged out. Now I'm going to have a $100,000, $200,000 to get me back up in current. Mm. So I know that you can't really speak to, you know, sort of specifics when it comes to, you know, companies, but as a whole, what are some of the, the IT trends that, that freight companies are pursuing or, or some maybe that they should be pursuing, especially in a post, you know, I guess a post COVID world is what we're living in now. 
Yeah, and uh, that's a great question, Bob. Thank you so much. That one. Um, so what we're seeing a lot of, and it's not just specific to uh, transportation logistics, but we see this a lot where they're they're looking to bridge a gap. They they find something that is not quite right. I can't I can't have good visibility. Well, here's this one advertisement for this one application. Let me just get that one thing, and this will solve all of my problems. Uh, and ultimately, what ends up happening is they'll get it, it'll get uh, implemented into an environment, and it just kind of muddies up the waters. You know, I mean, we the the people at the bottom level, the people that are actually in the trenches doing the work, uh, they will generally find a way to get through their day to day. And now you just introduce a brand new something just because it looked like the right fit. Sometimes it works, most of the time it doesn't. And what we're hearing a lot of is trying to implement and integrate a lot of these tools. So that will happen multiple times. And then what will end up happening is there will become some level of dependency on that application. And now it has to stay. And now we're going to add another one. And before you know it, you've got five or six of these. They're all over the place, you know, and they don't really talk with each other. And it just really makes it worse. And Mm -hmm. uh, the second part of your question is, is what should they be doing? And that is a deep, that's a deep conversation, you know, <laughs> so especially uh, around uh, what has happened over the last couple of weeks with Colonial Pipeline, you know, so that's always on everybody's mind. Uh, we have some some recommendations. Uh, baselining is a term we'd like to use. We want to make sure that people are really focused on fundamentals of maintaining their environment. And this is really not new information. There's really no silver bullet to this. Uh, there's really, you have to have a good solution in place for patching everything. You need to have good backups in place that have been tested. And that's a, that's something that is skipped by and large by most organizations where they, they don't test their backups. So how do you even know if your data is protected? And it needs to be separated from everything else. Um, and some other simple things like that are more common now is like two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication. I think you and I have actually had that conversation. Yes, we and, have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and to be and to be honest, and this kind of comes back to my silver bullet. There's no one thing that can be done, but it kind of comes back to being uh, the differences between a hard target and a soft target. These people that are actually coming in trying to get and take advantage of and find people that are vulnerable, if you make it just a little bit harder than that next guy, they will pass you by. This mm-hmm. is a job to them. They're going to come in there and they're going to try to find the easiest one. If you've taken some of these steps and it's too tough, they'll just skip you. So, I mean, that's really one of the things you want to get to that baseline and stay on that baseline because they're not necessarily coming after somebody. They're coming after the easiest target. That's a great point because it's almost like if you're a robber, are you going to go to the house with the door that's unlocked or are you going to go to the house with that has the multiple barricades in, in place where somebody can't reach it? Obviously, you're going to go to the one that has you know the, the door unlocked and maybe even just wide open in order to exploit those vulnerabilities. So most of us in sort of the, the, the tech world know that if a hacker wants to get in, they will get in. It's not a matter of if, but when. Has Stratusgrid ever had to combat against a hack? And if so, what does that sort of, I guess, war room look like when you're actively trying to fight against hackers? I imagine it's like a medieval warfare, but I'm sure it's probably not like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you 
described it perfectly. I mean, my suit of armor is in the other room. I mean, we stood up to go at it. Um, you know, and I mean, the the biggest piece of advice, yes, we, we've been there, um, uh, but we don't, you know, specialize specifically in security, but every IT company is a security company. You know, so uh, what we're always saying is if we ever get to that stage, it's you're already in a mess. You know, mm-hmm. so the, the best advice I can give is from the previous comment. You know, prepare yourself ahead of time. Uh, and the most important thing is don't panic, you know. And some of the things that are uh, kind of a little counterintuitive, if it looks like it is something that is legitimate, let somebody know. And don't necessarily just close it directly out. I mean, you don't want to just leave it, you know, running indefinitely. Um, but also, if you see it, the damage is probably already done. And if you want to be able to try to reverse that and get somebody to be able to find something. Uh, when you talk about seeing something, what what are what say I'm I'm a freight broker sitting, you know, working in my TMS is is what what kind of red flags would, would pop up to, to make me know that something is has gone awry? So we could talk ransomware is kind of one of the most prolific right now uh, is if you have common files that are no longer accessible, you were in it this morning and then all of a sudden you can't get into it. Uh, those are some of the indicators. Um, if you start seeing, uh, you know, unusual slowness in your network, um, like the, there's there's so many. <laughs> like, like a DDoS attack is what happened to mm-hmm. a, a friend of mine recently. They run a podcasting host or a podcast hosting company, and they were the victim of that. And they refused to pay the the hackers, which I thought was brilliant. And, and sort of on the flip side of what Colonial Pipeline strategy mm-hmm. was, is they just outright paid them and then got their information back. Do you think that that paying them is a good idea? Or is it sort of like the the mantra of we, we don't do business, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Is, is that more of the, the hard line thinking? Yeah, well, there there's some pretty significant differences between a DDoS and a uh, and a ransomware. Ransomware is exactly what it sounds like. They have it. You know, if they have a successful ransomware against it, they've got your data and it's encrypted uh, and encrypted. You're not you're just not going to break it. So it really comes down to that's where your backups and test restorals come into play. And that's where I don't know this for sure. I mean, I've been keeping an eye on Colonial, uh, just having been in the industry as long as I have. That's it. I mean, if, if, if they don't have a, a good backup, they don't have any options, <laughs> you know? Uh, and it, so if they've got your operational data, you have to have that operational data that is not going to be broken. Uh, they, we don't have international cybersecurity laws that are really enforced. That's why you see a lot of this is happening from outside of the United States. So the, the cyber world doesn't have borders, you know. So that's why it's just it's they'll perpetuate from Russia, China, Korea, uh, and there's really not a whole lot of uh, options to do. That's why you have to get in front of it. You have to be you have to be that harder target, and you have to be prepared that everything is lost, you know? So that's why it is just critical that you have a good solution in place to combat this, you know, before it ever happens. If they ever get you, you're, you're gone. Uh, in a, a, a DDoS, it, you know, is a slightly different, that is, you know, a denial of service. They just keep sending you things. Well, that can actually be mitigated generally by, um, you know, like an ISP, an internet service provider. They are able to kind of, 
shuck that off to the side and it happens relatively quickly, you know, uh, again, but that's not necessarily impacting your data. That's just impacting people's ability to get to it. You know, so, so it does, it, it makes a ton of sense. So you, you mentioned keeping your baseline and ke- getting out in front of it by keeping backups of your, of your data and of your information. And, and then also being able to have a quality provider that can protect you from that in the future. But what about as far as the, the current landscape of freight technology, where do you sort of see it evolving in the next five years or so, which is, I know is an eternity in the technology in, in the tech space, but maybe, you know, g- give us a few ideas of where the freight industry is evolving. Yeah, what we're actually seeing in the freight industry, and this is a uh, this is a uh, an area that has largely been kind of not ignored, but they don't adopt technology as quickly as we see in other industries. Um, and but what we're starting to see now is that there's uh, they're starting to become quite an enthusiasm around technology and how it's actually helping to impact positively uh, into this industry. So generally speaking, and this has been uh, forever and ever, amen, is that ROI around uh, IT and most uh, business owners. Again, this isn't specific to transportation and logistics. It's a very expensive and it just looks like a call center. Uh, and oftentimes, like, well, I don't want to drop the money into that. You know, that's just too expensive. And it really comes down into IT security. And I've said it for years that IT is, IT is expensive. IT security is even more so. And it's really sometimes can be a bitter pill to drop all of this money into IT security and the intent is for nothing to happen. So that's, <laughs> you know, that's hard, you know I mean? I'm it sort of, is, so it's I mean, very difficult. I think yeah, for a lot like, of companies to, to face that. Yeah. And so, it, like so, so learning all of the things that, that we've learned from about Stratus Grid today and sort of IT infrastructure and, and protecting yourselves against ransomware, I wanted to kind of take it in a, in a slightly different direction because I, I know that you have an extensive military background and, and I, you know, years ago had the opportunity to participate in the Navy's DB Embark program where I got to land, I got to take off and, and stay the night on an aircraft carrier, which is a, an incredible experience and gave me a, a whole new appreciation for, for military service men and women. And I know that since you've had a lengthy military career in mili- and with Memorial Day coming up, I just kind of wanted to give you the opportunity to, to speak on what service has, has meant to you. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And what's actually kind of surprising, uh, I saw uh, a note that you had sent me about that, uh, is you were on the the. Uh, the Harry S. Truman. Truman. I've yeah. actually, I've actually, I'm Air Force. I'm retired Air Force, did 20 year career. So it's unusual for me to have ever landed on an aircraft carrier, but I have also landed uh, on that, uh, on that aircraft carrier. You oh, know, nice. This is a yeah, small world, yeah, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> or small carrier <laughs> world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was actually off, uh, actually, maybe it had been the Theodore Roosevelt. Anyway, I, I also landed on a, a carrier, and that was one of my, highlights of my Air Force career is being able to do that. So that was pretty fantastic. So uh, I am aware and I appreciate you giving me the time to talk about that. So uh, I've now actually been retired for almost eight years. Uh, it seems kind of surreal that, you know, the vast majority of my youth was spent there. And uh, I look back on it very fondly. There's obviously not great times, but also some really uh, transformative times. And I learned a lot and I learned, I uh, had some very impactful people in my life that continue to be, um, and what I really wanted to kind of bring from that, and I continue to strive here, and something from your previous guest, Grace, was when she was talking about the authenticity of the people. That's really what I want to try 
to take some of that time, not militant, not, you know, everybody has to be here at one time, but there was a, a sense of camaraderie, a sense of teamwork and being able to have that trust of, you know, if I, if I hand something over to the person next to me, you know, I have the utmost belief that that will be picked up and handled. And I've got all the support behind me and I've got the support of my leaders. I want to bring that here. You know, I want to kind of bring that internally and try to build those teams. Uh, so that's one of the things that I really love and miss. Appreciate that that sentiment, especially with Memorial Day coming up. All right, Dan, where can people find more about Stratus Grid and, and, and all of the work you guys do? I'm really excited to hear from everybody. And I'd love for people to uh, send us an email at sales at stratusgrid.com. And I will have my guys reach out. And if y'all have questions, please don't hesitate. We are quite passionate about just trying to help. We want to be helpful in this industry. Uh, and we really want to ha have these conversations. So if there's anything about this that caught someone's attention and they just want to like, hey, do you mind just talking to me about it further? We would be happy to. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you, Blythe. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you guys so much for joining in on this episode of Cyberly. Be on the lookout for next week's episode when we are right back at our normal time slot. Thank you again and happy Memorial Day.